0: Our customers are looking for ways to reduce complexity, you know, having a single place to design an entire system to enter the data. That's really kind of driving us to have that greater continuity, really simplify how automation projects are being delivered and and how they're being designed.
1: On this episode of Embedded Insiders, Julie Robinson, Director of Product Management at Rockwell Automation, gives us an introduction of the company's recently announced Factory Talk Design Hub, a software hub designed to ease and accelerate cross-collaboration and productivity for automation design teams. Then, we're finally back with another success story about how Keysight, Wind River, Vodafone, Intel, and Radisys came together to design, develop, and test a disaggregated multi-vendor green o-RAN solution to manage high traffic and power consumption in radio access networks. But first, Brandon and Rich highlight some of the technologies, products, and solutions that were featured at the much-anticipated Electronica 2022 electronics trade fair.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Embedded Insiders. I'm Brandon Lewis, Editor-in-Chief of Embedded Computing Design, and I'm here with Rich Nass, the EVP and Brand Director of ECD. How are you doing, Rich?
3: I'm doing okay now. I'm finally back from lots and lots of travel, and it is certainly nice to be home, back in the warm climate, that's for sure.
2: Well, where were you?
3: The most important part of my travel that pertains to the Embedded Insiders is that I spent a week at Electronica in Munich they do the event every other year and two years ago was canceled because of COVID. So it's been four years. And um, I got to say, it was a, it was a good show in terms of the number of exhibitors, the number of attendees, and then overall buzz that was there was pretty high. So um, I would say it was a success.
2: One of my favorite cities. Did you take a picture? Yeah. Did you take your picture in front of the glockenspiel?
3: Uh, no, as you know, I tend to go to the show, focus, and go home.
2: Oh, boo. Yeah. They also have one of the world's biggest beer halls there, House.
3: Yes. Uh, I got in the morning of the first, what we call day zero. So, um, I did not have time to carouse. It was interesting though, the day before I got there was the NFL game between the Bucks <laughs> and the Seahawks. And it was it was a day later, and the town was very much decked out for these two teams, and people were Tom Brady crazy. Lots of people wearing Brady jerseys, and there were banners in a lot of the windows of the pubs. It was pretty interesting to see that.
2: See any jerseys at the Messi?
3: I did not see a jersey at the Messi, not a one.
2: Uh, I was wondering if the buzz you saw at the show was because, of, because people were Tom Brady crazy.
3: Uh no the buzz was because electronica is back and people are excited to be at an event.
2: What were some of the big themes you saw there?
3: Uh the biggest theme was what they're calling the electric electrification of everything taking these things that are not necessarily electronic and making them electronic and the the, the biggest one there was automotive just making automobiles smarter and smarter, but also white goods are becoming significantly smarter. And I don't even know if I like that idea or not, but it is what it is. Your refrigerator is connected to the internet. So it knows when you don't have milk and makes a list on the, um, the GUI in front and all that stuff.
2: Are we going to coin a new term now? The EOE? Electrification of everything. Yes.
3: Well, I think IoT certainly covers it and it's just expanding out the IoT. And the other thing that's really important, obviously, when you're in Germany, is the industrial aspect, taking these manufacturing robotics, automation systems that may be old, 10, 20, 30 years old, and putting them on the internet and electrifying them.
2: I always get a little confused when people talk about, you know, electrification because I always figured that those things had electricity anyway. Um, a lot of the things that are <laughs> that are in question, but um, you know, whatever you need to do to spin it and sell it, I guess.
3: Exactly. yeah, and I, in, in a lot of cases, it's not doing anything different, putting a n- nice phrase in front of it, but it but it does work, as you say. We held some tech sessions in one of the theaters on the show floor. And with that question, the highlight of our tech sessions, was uh even upton who as i know you know is the original founder creator whatever you want to call him inventor of the raspberry pi he spoke in one of our sessions and he, he gave a great talk talked about the 10 lessons learned with raspberry pi and the place was packed there were people in every seat in the theater there were people in the hallways straining to get in. And when he was done speaking, we had another speaker up right after him and we had to sort of move people out of the way to get the next speaker because people wanted to speak to him, uh, have their picture taken with him. They were even autographing things, which I thought was pretty cool. So he's a uh, superstar in embedded, without a doubt.
2: I was going to say the, the uh, embedded hall of fame, even up and inducted in 2022, it sounds like. Um, what were some of the some of the ten things that he learned about from Raspberry Pi that that he presented on? Do you, do you remember any of them?
3: It was more about uh, lessons learned and not it wasn't Raspberry Pi specific. It was things like code reuse, smaller is better, how important it is to market properly, things like that.
2: That's pretty cool. I know that you got a picture with him, which is up on our social media channels. So if anybody wants to see Rich Cheese, I didn't
3: knock anybody down to get in to get my picture <laughs> taken with him. I, I figured since I was running the show, I should be at the front of the line. So I it's just
2: not what I heard front of the
3: line, and I did get my picture taken with with Evan. So uh, that I was pretty
2: proud of. Well, check it out on uh, the embedded computing design social media channels. But there was another big thing that we did at uh, Electronica that I heard of, even though I wasn't there. It's Best in Show. Is that correct?
3: Yes, we at some of the major events we we do Best in Show awards, and it's literally the Best in Show from people who are exhibiting. And I think we came up with a total of six awards that we gave out for people who really went above and beyond with these products. These these things really stood out amongst the competition. And I can ramble off the list if you'd like, if that's what you want to hear.
2: Sure. You can ramble off the list and or you just want to pick out one or two of your favorites. Sure.
3: One was an automotive MOSFET. I guess you got to be a geek to think a MOSFET is cool. (laughs) But um, they... Came up with this technology to for automotive applications to keep a very high-power device cool enough that it functions properly and doesn't affect the other devices on the board.
2: Was that the was that um, the uh, Halfridge, uh IC from Navitas, or, or was that something else? No,
3: that was from Onsemi. I'm sorry if I didn't say that in, in the beginning. And then there was one from Navitas who, who also won an award with uh, again component. It's interesting because we're actually seeing it. a few years ago, it was always silicon carbide versus GAN, and they were always mentioned together. And now it seems like silicon carbide has taken on a life of its own and really taken off and has so many applications and shipping in such high volumes. But anyway, um, all that said, the device that did win our best in show was a was GAN device, the half-bridge power IC from Navitas Semiconductor. Uh, what they did was pretty in, innovative so if you want to see the rest of them you can check them out on our website uh we have pictures with with all the winners and and we have we have links to all the data sheets of, of all these products that won and and why they won
2: yeah you know i i think bringing it kind of full circle this is an area that's uh, you know typically the power electronics space like you said uh, you got to be kind of a geek to think that the power power electronics are cool but really with the electrification of everything, I mean, these technologies are going to be incredibly important. And it is interesting to see how Gan and Sick have have sort of evolved. And I agree with you; you've seen Sick kind of explode, of all well, time, mean, you know, mini explosion, I guess. Figuratively, however, speaking, yeah, <laughs> you be careful figure, of that yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, figuratively, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're going to need a lot of technologies that are able to be incredibly efficient and facilitate really fast charging if we're going to be able to do things like have ubiquitous electric vehicles, um, something that actually on an upcoming interview on Embedded Insiders with Grant Corville of BlackBerry, we'll probably be talking about. So just want to stay tuned for that.
3: Yeah, charging has come so far. I've, I've seen where you can charge your cell phone in 10 minutes, what they're doing with automobiles. It's pretty interesting how that's changed over the last few years.
2: Well, what's the next big show for you, Rich?
3: Next big show for me is CES. And you know
2: how much I love CES. Yes. (laughs) That was the um, last time that I got COVID, which was last year. uh, Because obviously- That is not true. Yes. That is not true. What do you mean?
3: That is not the last time you got COVID.
2: When was the last time I got COVID? We all got COVID after... Embedded oh, World. that's right. After Embedded World. <laughs> Man. How soon they I mean, forget. J- yes, I forgot. I mean, all this seems like so long ago, but yeah, at the beginning of, of last year, every show, or I guess through the middle of last year, every mm-hmm. show that, that we, yeah, every show that you go to, that I went to, I was getting COVID. I was vaccinated and, and boosted and everything, but that's that's right. I forgot about that. Vienna is not nearly as beautiful from inside a hotel
4: room. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this year, I I think my immunity is all built up. I'm ready to go. Um, and yes, we will be on the ground at CES. But before that, I'm going to be at the Risk Five Summit. So, if you're interested in learning about some of the cool stuff that's happening at Risk Five, including their first launch into space in a CubeSat, you can check out more on embeddedcomputing.com and in the Embedded Insiders Podcasts, I think we'll cover it there too.
1: Now, Julie Robinson, Director of Product Management at Rockwell Automation, gives us a glimpse into the company's software hub for industrial automation products and organizations.
2: Part of the reason... Historically, we've seen, if you take like a motion control algorithm or something like that, a lot of this is really complex that's really you know, only uh, known sometimes by the people who designed the system. So as you start opening it up, are you going to be losing some of that expertise and some of that skill when you try to make things more democratic, for lack of a better term, for everybody in the development life cycle?
0: I don't think so. You know, I think one of the things that we're really seeing is that, you know, we don't want folks to have to worry about sort of that specialization of like, like, how do I make this motion access run or or how do I make this very specific thing run in the automation, right? We want you and our customers to focus their time and energy on how do I make this process run, you know, as efficiently as it can? Or how can I make this machine run as efficiently as I can? Or this line or, or whatever, right? And so we really want to simplify the experience so that they can focus on those like truly value adds, you know, things that are really going to move the needle for them, right, that are really going to, to make a true difference in throughput and in profitability, you know, things like that, right, quality, all of those kinds of things. And so you know, not to say that those specializations aren't important because those are, but I think that becomes less and less of a piece of the puzzle, right? The more that we can do that and sort of build that into the automation system, the, the less specialization our customers have to do on top of that and they can focus on what really, really is going to move the needle for that.
2: Yeah, we talk a lot about OT and IT convergence. Do so you think a lot of this is being driven more on the IT side where you start looking at things in terms of, Maybe jobs versus you know a specific endpoint you know and how that's operating. You're looking more at the the factory as an overall system driven by sets of workflows um, where you can say you know I, I want to make fifty cookies for example um, versus I'm really focused on um, you know how the algorithm on machine one two four is is running.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and things like, and, and I think you're right, like a lot of these things, look, SaaS isn't new, cloud isn't new. We've been seeing this in our IT world. We've been seeing this in our consumer world, right, for years. And we're very comfortable with it. But, you know, our manufacturing industry, like the OT space is traditionally, you know, slower to adopt. We're a little bit more of a laggard in the OT space. And so, you know, it takes it takes a little while. We want to make sure everything is proven. We want to make sure we feel comfortable in that space. But I think I think that 100% is is also helping drive drive the behavior because we see it every day in our our lives. You know, kind of even outside of the OT space, right? Because because we see it in our consumer lives and, and we see it because it is so prevalent.
1: So, how can collaboration tools help enhance the productivity and efficiency of control system development production and maintenance, if at all?
0: So I think it absolutely does. Um, you know, one of the other, I mean, obviously with, with the pandemic, we've seen a highly distributed workforce, right? We've got folks working all over the world. Um, you know, one of the things that the, the pandemic has taught us is that you know, we need to find ways, you know, you can't always hop on a plane, you can't always be sitting beside someone to work on a project together. And so We have to find ways to to be able to support that distributed workforce and um and and modernize our tools and so having those collaboration tools like natively built into the products right like it's, it's all about reducing the barriers to you know to adoption if if using collaboration tools requires a bunch of extra steps i have to manually configure these APIs and cannot, you know, set up all these connections, no one's ever going to use it, right? And so making sure that collaboration is built in from the beginning, it's super easy to use. um, I think that absolutely helps.
1: Can you describe the Rockwell Automation Factory Talk Design Hub solution and its components and what factory automation stakeholders it could support?
0: Yeah. First, I'll start with the Hub. So the FactorShark Hub is the single place that you go for all of your SaaS applications. And so we've divided the Hub into a couple of different areas. Design Hub is really focused on those design workflows, right? What are those design applications that you would use? It is a combination of some of our existing products. You will see us moving some of our existing products to the cloud so that now they can operate as fast. Um, but we're also building some new cloud-native applications from the ground up. So it will be a combination of, of brand-new cloud-native applications, and then as well as some of our existing products. And so the nice thing about, you know, all of this sitting in one place is that, uh, you know, we do have you know, things like a common login, you know, common user experience, common help, um, things like that that are prevalent throughout all of the applications that appear in the hub and then three main applications that are in the hub first is uh, design studio our cloud based our new this is one of those you know i talked about some, some applications are being built from the ground up so this is one of those ground up developments that that we release um that is really about you know controller design right so how do we do compact logics uh, control logics controller design and it's really focused on kind of three key areas, you know, modern software development experience, multi user so that multi-user collaboration that we talked about, and then, you know, really a system view. So multi-controllers, so you can put together, you know, multiple controllers in a single view and really build out your system from a higher level. And then um, the second piece of the Design Hub is called Factory Talk Optics, and that is our new cloud uh, visualization design platform. Again, really focused on those modern technologies, innovative design, modular deployment options, right? So there's an on-prem version, there's a web-based option, it's really built on uh, open protocols. So, you know, we know that we've got a lot of systems out there that aren't just Rockwell automation hardware. As much as we'd love for every plant to have all Rockwell hardware, We, we know that's not really the reality. So we want to have options for customers to really be able to connect those mixed systems. They can talk to not only our AcuLink controller but also other controllers. So really, those are kind of the, the three main things about optics. Um, and then the third application within Design Hub is called Extract Twin Studio, and this is really about you know how do we simplify customers' experience with our um, simulation and emulation tools right so a couple key say a couple key use cases there are you know customers that want to uh, virtualize the design of their of their machine or the design of their line they want to be able to see what's going to happen I want to experiment with some new designs right I don't want to build a machine because that costs money you know takes a lot of time but I want to be able to, you know, experiment with a couple of different designs and, and see if they're going to work, right? See if it's going to have the uh, uh, results that I expect to have. Or let's say I want to, you know, simulate some different scenarios to take a look at different throughputs, right? Can I achieve some different throughputs that I'm trying to achieve by, you know, simulating different conditions within the uh, within the machine or within the line? So at the end of the day, it, it allows our customers to test, commission, machines, all virtually, right, without having to, you know, be in front of the physical machine. So, really help simplify that experience all in the cloud.
2: One of the big things that I've seen from Rockwell over the years is that, especially as you go into the internet of things, you're both a producer of technology and, in some cases, a consumer of the same technology. Have you, or, you know, are you uh drinking your own kool aid do you use uh, some or all of this technology in, in-house and if so what's the what's the outcome been so far
0: so a couple of the like the the ground up organic developments like I talked about with that Design Studio we're just starting to use that internally so we haven't rolled it out completely um, but we are you know we do have a plan to start uh, to start using that on our production line. but I will say for our Twin Studio products so there's a couple specific software packages that I'll call out that's in the Twin Studio, namely Emulate Three D and our Logic Echo products. Um, those we have, uh, we have absolutely used those in our own facilities. Um, so emulate 3d is, um, uh, is, a uh, um, design, you know, simulation, emulation tool. And so we have, a uh, a contactor line that's in, that's running in Milwaukee and, um, We, um, it was a new line that we built, but we uh, designed the entire system using Emulate 3D, we tested the entire system using Emulate 3D, and one of the values that we saw um, was that, you know, it really cut our commissioning time significantly because we could find so many of those errors, right, whether it was code errors, whether it was um, like machine, you know, like the machines weren't quite in the right location or they didn't have the, the right integrations between machines, kind of machine and machine interactions, like, either those weren't right. We were able to catch all of that before we showed up on site with all of the equipment, right? So, so we were able to cut commissioning time significantly and, uh, and really set up that time, you know, that on site time of, of getting line up and running. And, and Echo is our uh, controller, uh, our controller emulation. So it will, um, you know, it'll emulate a physical controller. And so we've started using that in a lot of our, like for a lot of our trade shows, you know, instead of taking a ton of physical controllers, a ton of hardware with us, we, you know, we take Echo because it's a software product. Um, we've started using it a lot of our internal testing where that makes sense too. So it's really helped reduce our, our costs of, um, you know, capital, you know, we can show value, you know, over time, we can continue to show how we're kind of building up this vision of the future with um, industrial automation enabled by the cloud.
1: Finally, listen how members of the ORAN Alliance are testing a solution designed to make radio access networks more open and minimize the effect wasted energy has on network's cost and power consumption without sacrificing the user experience. Unless you're a network engineer, you probably don't think about how much energy the mobile network infrastructure that connects our smartphones and other gadgets consumes. But if you did, you'd be shocked. According to the International Energy Agency, Global data transmission networks consumed 260 to 340 terawatt-hours of electricity in 2021. That's roughly the same amount of energy that England, the country, consumed in the same year at 333.2 terawatt-hours. There lies one possible explanation as to why your mobile service bill has remained roughly the same over the last 10 to 15 years because operators have to pass along
4: those energy costs. So energy costs for mobile networks, as we know, accounts for up to 40% of their cost, And the radio access network really accounts for more than three quarters of, of what we're looking at from that 40%.
1: Says Ang Wei Ku, director of technology at Keysight Technologies. Energy is such a big expense because the RAN infrastructure currently supports peak traffic levels at all times, in order to deliver the quality of service we expect. So whether it's in the middle of the workday or the middle of the night, mobile network RANs are drawing the same amount of power. Meanwhile, the average cost of a kilowatt hour in the United States has almost doubled since 1990. With no end to those increases in sight, members of the o Alliance an organization dedicated to making radio access networks more open, intelligent, and interoperable, held a global plug-fest in the spring with the goal of designing and testing disaggregated green network infrastructure that can adjust power consumption according to real-time traffic data. In other words, when demand is high and the network needs to run at high capacity, requisite power will be made available. When demand is low, less power will be delivered. We used live mobile network traffic, such as the peak traffic, which occurs during the commuting hours or after school hours. Um, and then we used the quiet times when most of us are asleep, says Nicoletta Petroni, Open RAN senior engineer at Vodafone. Based on these patterns, we managed to utilize the different power management um, um, tools and techniques to make sure that whenever the traffic is low, we can change the power state of our setup, of our solution. And whenever there is high peak traffic, we would change again the power state uh, to make sure that we can support these traffic. The 2022 O-RAN Alliance Plugfest occurred at the University of Utah's Powder Laboratory, a facility dedicated to mobile networking experiments. It was attended by engineers from the Vodafone Group, Intel, Keysight Technologies, Radisys, and Wind River Systems. The Plugfest was the first phase in a three-phase project to create a common approach to evaluating, testing, measuring, and monitoring the energy consumption of disaggregated open RANs. From there, steps can be taken to adjust the amount of power delivered to parts of the RAN infrastructure based on need.
2: In order to adjust the power dynamically based on the capacity need, you need to know how much power you're consuming, and you need to do it in an automated way,
1: says Gil Hellman, Vice President of Telecom Solutions at Wind River.
2: The first phase is to understand, first of all, can we measure successfully and accurately the power consumption in a programmatic way, meaning through a software.
1: To accomplish this at scale without the limitations of traditional hardware-based measurement tools, The PlugFest team created what amounts to a digital twin of a 5G open RAN based on traffic trend data from real-world Vodafone networks. They ran this traffic through a virtualized small-cell 5G base station running in an ORAN cloud built on and orchestrated through the Wind River Studio Cloud platform. The 5G base station consisted of a containerized ORAN distributed unit, edge server, and ORAN central unit. The entire stack was executed on the Intel Axion Ice Lake processors. The digital twin was simulated using tools from Keysight's Open Radio Access Network Architect portfolio, including the ORAN Energy Savings Test Solution, comprised of an emulated ORAN radio unit with user equipment emulation capabilities, a core emulator, and the PathWave test automation framework, the energy savings test solution provided stateful emulation of the digital twin based on the Intel processors P and C states, the former of which scales down frequency and voltage to conserve power, while the latter either reduces or completely turns off select functions. Simultaneously, Keysight's PA2203A IntegraVision Power Analyzer was used to capture power-related measurements in real time.
4: So Keysight, we have a comprehensive set of emulation technology that basically we look at uh, emulating. We can emulate the subscribers, the traffic profiles, uh, the network, and to be able to look at your uh, mobility scenarios and you know the kind of services that yourself and myself right, basically perform when we connect our mobile devices. Says Koo. So one of the key challenges when we start to look at optimizing the network for energy efficiency and savings is, for example, there are multiple um, power saving states in the Intel processors. And then, as you start to look at um, being more aggressive on getting the processors, right, for example, to be able to get into some um, highly efficient energy saving states, you basically switch off certain capabilities and functions within the CPU cores, including switching off some CPU cores when they are not in use. But as you start to get more aggressive with the power management scheme, it takes a longer time for the processors to be able to switch on certain capabilities and to be able to switch on certain CPU cores to recover to the level whereby you can start to look at serving the peak traffic um, that we're emulating. You know, when there are certain power management techniques, which are basically being implemented. And the key side emulation solution will need to be able to adopt accordingly and say, well, you know, uh, when you start to look at saving power, right? Uh, when you start to look at uh, maybe reducing the frequency of certain CPU calls, how would the subscriber sessions and the services that we're emulating together with what the subscribers are basically using behave and perform?
1: According to Hellman, the measurements acquired through software are pretty much accurate and the same as the measurements from physical equipment. That said, the Plugfest team's repeated testing and fine-tuning of the real-life traffic scenarios provided by Vodafone yielded a reduction in the power consumption of high and low mobile traffic periods by 9% and 12%, respectively. Now that the Plugfest has concluded, work to measure and quantify the effects of RAN power consumption adjustment more deeply is underway. For example, if the network is adjusted from full power and speed to a low-speed, deep power saving mode, how long would the transition take, and would quality of service suffer? Different spectrums are also being tested during the second phase to determine the viability of RAN power adjustment in use cases beyond indoor small cells. Given the long-term scope of this work is much broader, Hellman says wider network capacities need to be examined to get a full characterization of how things behave. Looking to the future, the third and final phase of the Screen RAN initiative will require the definition and implementation of standards. This is a critical component of the initiative given the open multi-vendor nature of the Open RAN ecosystem and the fact that operators like Vodafone plan to have 30% of their mobile sites running on Open RAN infrastructure by 2030. Hellman believes that standardization work could complete in early 2024, and as energy costs increase and regulations emerge in response to the climate crisis, power-saving standards for an industry with the energy footprint of a small country couldn't come at a better time. Thanks for listening to this edition of Embedded Insiders. For more daily news, videos, and podcasts, visit our website at EmbeddedComputing.com.